everyone. We are excited to be back for our sixth season of Husky Talk. On this episode... Hello, Chaz, and welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Today, you'll be talking with Olivia and Bentley. We'd like to start off... All right. We'd like to start off the episode by letting people know who you are. We see that you are the Chief Operations Officer for the Iditarod. Can you talk to us about what your role is at COO? Sure, I'd love to. You know, actually, my role as COO encompasses uh, quite a lot of what happens, uh, not just during the race, but after the race ends and in preparation for the next year's race. We start right after the race is finished. Um, we start uh, focusing our energies and our efforts on, on uh, the next race um, because, as you well know, we have we have different uh, um, routes that we take up. So what, what route are we taking this year? Do you know? No, we don't. Okay. So, so this year we will be taking the southern route. And the southern route always goes through, um, it always goes through certain, uh, a certain iconic uh, um, towns. And one of them is the ghost town of Iditarod. Mm. So that, so that southern route will go around uh, the southern part of, of the, the um, you know, of the interior as it goes up and in, back into and circles back up on into the, uh, uh, the Gold Coast. Um, the northern route, you always know it's the northern route because we go through, through um, communities like Ruby and Galena. So, so that's on the new, northern route. Interesting. Just a little bit of trivia for you there. Can you tell us how you got started with the Iditarod? I can. Actually, it was a very interesting uh, set of circumstances. I have been working with a CBS affiliate in Alaska um, as as a uh, as a broadcast journalist, and what they what they call a, uh, a I was a one man band. So my background, I received all of my, my education when it came to, to journalism, broadcast journalism in particular, and news gathering from the United States Air Force, where I served for 11 years. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to uh, grow into uh, where, where I am today. And anyway, long story short, I was working on, uh, on the idea around um, as a journalist, and I went out uh, to, to cover the race. The first time I, I went out to cover the race, I believe, was 1987 when I was still uh, a journalist in the Air Force, and that was um, that was the year we went through Galena. I had a chance to chat with uh, Edgar Nolner, who is one of the original uh, members of, of the um, of the, the the group of mushers that that brought the diphtheria serum to know. And that was a real exciting thing in my life. I loved the idea to rod. And then again, I, I reconnected in 1998. And in 2000 and 2001, I actually uh, covered the race for the CBS affiliate here in Alaska. So, um, so after that, I had, uh, I had, I had, uh, um, really, um, uh, created a really nice, good friendship with our, our former CEO, who is, his name is Stan Hooley. And Stan and I um, 
we, we had a lot of things in common and, and a passion for the race. And he asked me one day if I would put together a job description for a director of public relations. And I told him I'd be more than happy to. So I put the job description together and gave it to him. And then he got back uh, back with me and said, this really looks great. Um, you're the first person I'm going to ask, would you like to t- would you like this job? And I said, yes, I would. So that's where I began with the Iditarod. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so for our young listeners, uh, still thinking about what they would want to be when they grow up, what does it take to become the COO of a company or a business? Well, um, that's a good question. And, and I think the biggest the biggest quality that um, that I really do uh, relate to is servant leadership. So servant leadership, um, it's a cornerstone in character building. Um, it's, 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 it's an individual and or a group that uh, believes in, uh, in the more I serve the people who serve me, the greater the outcome will be for all. So, so that's a big part of, of my of my ambition is to make sure that um, that I'm taking I'm taking care of the people that are on our bus, and by on our bus I mean uh, these are people that are volunteers, these are teachers, these are um, these are all the individuals that go out there every year as veterinarians, um, as as pilots, as communications, uh, all kinds of people with great assets in terms of in terms of volunteering their 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 not just their time but in volunteering their skill sets and then it's it's my job to make sure that we've got the right people in the right place along the trail so every so they can do their job one thing i don't believe in is micromanagement um i do believe that everybody as long as they realize that you're not going to get in trouble for making a mistake, if you own it, just just own it. But at the same time, make sure that you're coming you're coming back to the whole as a, as as a group. You're coming back with with uh, solutions to the mistake that was made. How can I make this better? It's it's what you call a teachable moment, and and I firmly believe in that. So the skills are not necessarily hard skills. You know, I went to, I went to college, I did all these different things, but none of that prepared me for what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really about experiential learning. So can you talk to us about the changes you have seen since you started with the Iditarod? Oh boy. <laughs> well, we went from 16 dogs to 14 dogs and that was in, and that was, um, basically because it was in the, in the best interest of, of the canine athletes. So that we went from that to, uh, to 14, and that has worked well. It, it may change in the future. We don't know. But I think that that's been a big game changer. I think, too, that the technology and the, uh, the science that has been brought to this race since I first started has helped to open up um, this, not just this race, but this culture to the rest of the world. And, um, and, and by culture, I mean, um, it, it's not just a culture that is of indigenous peoples, but it's of, of all peoples that embrace 
uh, that that bond between the human and the canine. And there have been a number of different uh, technology um, technology advancements because of the Iditarod. There have been a, a number of veterinary advancements because of the Iditarod, and a number of communications advancements because of the the Iditarod. So um, I feel lucky to be a part. I feel very lucky to have been a part of this over the course of the last, I think, seventeen years. Mm-hmm. So from going to 16 to 14 dogs, um, has that made, how has that made an impact on it? So we have, uh, overall, since we started three years ago, uh, we've seen, we've seen a decrease in the, the dogs that were returned off the trail. It requires our mushers to be very in tune with their team and requires them not to just think, okay, I've got, I've got two. I've got two dogs that can go either way, so um, so you know I might keep them or I might drop them. That is no longer the case. The, the case today is all about ensuring that you've got the right uh, canine team management in order to make decisions along the trail that um, that that are in, in the best interest of the of the game plan you're, you've you've uh, uh, started. Or, or, or the best interest of the dogs. And so for me, I think that's really important. All of these mushers really have to be very well attuned to their team and, and focus on that throughout the entire race. Uh, before, we get to, before we get into what's going on for preparations for this year, let's recap, recap last year's race. Last year's champion was Brent Sass. What can you tell us? He about- was. <laughs> what Is can- that Brent Sass one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. What can you tell us about Brent and his and his race? Oh. Well, first of all, um, <clears throat> you may know that Brent Sass came to Alaska on, on a scholarship. He was he was a uh, he was a skier, um, and and he he did uh, backcountry cross country. Uh, skiing, and uh, that's how that's what got him to Alaska. What kept him in Alaska was his exposure to uh, to legends uh, up in the Fairbanks area. Two of those legends just happened to be David Munson and uh, Susan Butcher. And and David and Susan uh, started uh, you know started kindling a relationship with with uh, Brent uh, to the point where. Brent ended up being uh, the caretaker of their cabin out, um, and, and now that's that's where that's where he has his his, uh, his entire um, kennel and everything. It was out at their cabin where they trained. So he he talks about this all the time that that he can still hear Susan's voice um, when he comes, you know, when he leaves. Uh, the kennel, and when he comes back into the kennel, he said it's a very, very, very. He said there were so many people that um, that are legends of the Iditarod that trained there too. So he feels very blessed to be in that place. It's a place of energy. It's a place of positive energy, and it's really a place of canine energy. So for him, that's that's very important. Red has won um, the Yukon Quest. He he uh, 
he almost won the Iditarod twice, but didn't quite didn't quite get there uh, fast enough. And this year, he had all of those um, all of those past experience culminate in a very uh, empowering moment as he was going up the trail. He knew exactly what he needed to do. It wasn't it wasn't about you know him staying ahead of five-time Iditarod champion Dallas Seavey. It was him staying on his game, on his plan. And he did that, and he won. So working your plan is always an important part of whatever you do. All right. What, were there any surprises last year in last year's race? Um, there, there were a number of surprises. I think that most importantly... Mother Nature once again proved that she is uh, a force to uh, reckon with no matter what. She dominated the last part of the race. A number of mushers didn't make it to too known. They scratched because of, uh, of a very, very, very big weather pattern that came in to, uh, to the Norton Sound area. Um, these surprises happen way too often today in, in our and not just in our event, but on our planet. But it's really important to remember that a lot of this is being promulgated by um, by a, a number of different uh, uh, contributors. Man, mankind is the, the biggest one. Well, now I'm talking specifically about climate change and how you know it may not seem like we've got you know it may seem like we've got the coldest of weather. Um, and, and everything should be fine. But what happens is, is that when storms come in, like they did three years ago to Norton Sound, they came in with such ferocity that they, 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 they wiped out the sea ice completely. And it was, there was ocean where there had been sea ice for years before. Now, last year we were fortunate enough that sea ice came back, but in reality, um, no one could uh, ever foresee uh, the kind of um, the, the kind of conditions that our mushers, uh, some of our mushers in the back of the pack, had to go through. So that was a, that was a big surprise, and that's a surprise that we are now taking back into our playbook for 2023. We need to make sure that we have certain amenities available on in, in checkpoints along the Gold Coast to help. Our mushers and 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 their dogs, um, you know, be, have the capacity to traverse through these storms. So recently, Iditarod has partnered with Doc Dogs and Dueling Dogs. Can you talk to us a little bit about what Doc Dogs and Dueling Dogs are are about and the partnership? Sure. Uh, we're partners with Doc Dogs and Dueling Dogs and Dogs TV. And so what that means is now, you know, the Iditarod is a part of a larger community that is all about working dogs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so your, your, your teacher had a chance, Ms. Montgomery had a chance to go and see um, parts of the, uh, the, all the qualifiers, I think, mm-hmm. that one day that she was, she was in, in uh, Dubuque, Iowa. She got a chance to, to take a look at what this is all about. And what it's about is it's working dogs doing phenomenal things. 
I mean, you know, can you imagine your dog jumping vertically eight feet, uh, 10 feet? I mean, that's crazy. And these dogs can do it. And, and they're, they're working dogs. They're, some of them are, are total what we call mutts, just like our sled dogs. They have diverse DNA, but they don't have a specific breed. So, but there are a number of uh, purebred dogs that are also working dogs. Your Labrador Retrievers, your your, your Yellow Lash, or um, any kind of a of a sheep dog is a working dog that does well in these events. Mm-hmm. And our events are all about uh, the vertical. Uh, what I told you, the extreme vertical, where they where they just dive straight up in the air to grab this. Uh, um, to, to grab a, um, a bone that's, that's dangling there on, 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 a, uh, uh, on a brace. Um, there's also speed retreat. This is all technology that we're interested in, very much so. And, and uh, this is another, another place for our, our veterinary corps to actually conduct um, research, see how, how, what makes these dogs go so fast? What makes these dogs uh, jump so far or jump so high? And, and these are areas where, where, you know, that research can help contribute to, um, to bettering the quality of life of all dogs. And that's our goal here. Um, we're looking at building a, um, a, a platform where we have numerous channels, you know, that, that, that range from dog whisperer to dog wizard. Uh, we want to be more engaged and involved with the entire community, all all family members that 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 have dogs, all all pet owners that have dogs. It's it's all about the dogs. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we're looking forward to in the future. Yeah. Okay. As of today, October twenty fourth, we are one hundred thirty one days away from the twenty twenty three Iterage. What preparations are being made at this point for the race? So um, we have uh, laugh. Everybody knows what laugh is, right? They're the they're, they're the uh, the markers that that are um, that are um, our trail breakers put in to mark the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, on average, we average about ten thousand laughs. So we got to start now to get that ready. Um, we also have. Um, all of our food drop bags being being sewn and, and manufactured, and they'll be on their way here to us probably within the next two or three weeks. Um, we have many, many um, other other elements that we have to get going on, you know, as quickly as possible. So we've been working on all of that. Here pretty soon, um, our, our chief race vet will be working with volunteers to build to create the ointment that we provide every musher on the trail that helps their dogs to, um, and, and it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, recipe that, that uh, is, is developed there so that every dog has, um, has, our, um, has ours, uh, our recommendation for the best kind of ointment or liniment for a, for a dog's uh, pad, foot pads. You know, all of these things need to happen well in advance. So that's what we're working on right now. Um, we've been we've been engaged in COVID for the last we've been fighting COVID um, for the last three years, and we just issued our our policy 
for our COVID-19 uh, regimen for 2023. And part of that is um, we will not mandate um, shots in arms for any of our mushers or our, uh, our, our volunteers. Um, I did a riders, all, all of them don't have to uh, have, um, have a, sh uh, a COVID-19 shot. Um, we know already from, from our, from our um, we, we actually have a, um, a COVID-19 czar who is an epidemiologist. And then we have the state of Alaska um, health care system who we work very closely with. They, they are not, they are always gonna recommend, and so will we recommend that it's important for everyone to at least immunize themselves at some level um, against COVID-19. And uh, you'll notice that this year in particular, we're seeing a lot more influenza than COVID-19. And that means that um, COVID-19 is you know that's a, that's an indicator that um, the COVID nineteen is 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 kind of it's not being handled, um, but but it's being mitigated, and so the whole goal for us would be to make sure we send the message that shots and arms are a big part of your quality of life as well. Mm -hmm. But not everybody not everybody agrees with that, so we have to be cognizant of that, and so that that is being lifted this year. Uh, we cannot tell you right now what our testing program will look like, but we 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 are fairly certain that there will be some sort of ingress egress testing that takes place with all of our uh, participants in 2023. So, quick question about the food drop bags: What's all in them? Oh, what goes in them? Well, it depends. It's it's a uh, food drop and people. With the food drop bags for the for the dogs, every every musher um, is looking at you know if I'm going to be on the uh, the southern trail southern route uh, this year I'm going to have to have some things that are in, that are in there for for the best interest of our dogs and part of that is we've experienced overflow for the last uh, few times that we were on the southern route so mushers will put in like uh, like maybe in an extra set of um, you know of, of, of covers for the dogs or they'll, they'll put in some some things that will help the dogs in case overflow is in the area they'll also put in all kinds of kibble um, high and rich and rich very high and rich protein and uh, and carbohydrates and uh, and they will have some frozen uh, snacks like salmon or beaver or lamb, all high in protein as well and, and caloric uh, count. So, so those will go into some, some of those areas where it starts getting colder. They, they, they've got all this planned well in advance so they know what to purchase prior to going on the trail. So there'll, there'll be a, diverse, um, a lot of diversity there in each, in each drop bag. So as of today, there are 26 mushers signed up. Do you anticipate much more signing up, or do you think that this is it? Uh, that's a really good question. We, we not only anticipate, but we are, are very encouraged by the number of mushers who have recently 
made us aware that they would be uh, they would be running the race this year. So it will go up. How far it goes up is up to the musher. You know, um, one thing that you you probably all are aware of in your classroom is we have this thing called inflation that has really put an effect on everybody's purse strings mm -hmm. when it comes to what should I do? Should I, you know, for a musher, it's, it's, it's like, should I hold my team off for a year? Um, you know, they've got a lot of things they need to think about, like how much effort do I put in my training if I'm not going to run this year? How much effort do I put in my training if I am going to run this year? Either way, they're going to have to put the effort in on their training, no matter what. So it's a decision that's very difficult for them to make as well. There are a few big names missing from the list. For example, Martin Busser. This will be his 40th race. Do you think he is still planning on racing? It's up to Martin, to be honest with you. I, I cannot imagine Martin not on the trail. But I can also consider the fact that Martin now is, uh, he's, I would not say he's, for, for, a, for his age, he's like in his, in his early 50s or late 40s. But uh, he's, in, he's in perfect health. He is a, a great competitor and a great athlete. Um, and, and he has not taken a year off, as you well know, in, what, 30-plus years. And so, and so this may be an opportunity for him to, to regenerate and re, 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 reboot himself and his team for next year. But I, I, I surely am, there's a part of me that is just hoping that Martin decides to run the race this year. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the Iditarod 10 years from now? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I see the Iditarod as a very, very, not just, uh, not just viable resource, but one of the, one of the main contributors of healthy lifestyles for all dogs. Mm -hmm. There's no other athlete on the planet that can do what our what our dogs do, and 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 to to even you know to take that a step further, we don't even know what they can do, because it's it's really their journey with with human, with a human at the at the helm. So so they might be able to go three times as fast as or three times as long as as they are right now. And, and what we need to do is explore how these, how these unbelievable athletes can consume so much calories and, 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 and reserve fuel as well as burn fuel on an ongoing basis. And that's good for all dogs. That's not just good for, for our dogs. It's good for any pet. And it all starts with each of you in your classroom right now that has a dog. I, I've said this, I don't know how many times, but, but please listen. Your dog is a direct reflection of you. Your dog will do whatever you do because your dog loves you. So if you lead a sedentary life, your dog will be right there on the couch with you. But the dog will not experience the same quality of life if you took your dog out for a walk at least once a day and you, and you, and you took care of the chores that go along with that dog 
it helps you and your dog bond. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's the whole secret to this. Hmm. Um, our final question is I did a dinner party. You are a- able to invite five I did a icons to dinner, living or dead. Who would you invite to your dinner party? Well, that's, that is an awesome question. I would have to start with Rick Swenson. And... And then I would, I would go directly to to um, uh, Susan Butcher. I would also love to have uh, at the dinner party Lance Mackey. And because no matter where Lance lands, he's going to shake it up, period. I would also like to uh, invite uh, Dallas Seavey who represents this phenomenal family that has been a part of mushing since, since well before our race began. And, and the reason I'd like Dallas there is, is for him to just, because he is Dallas approaches this race with, with an analytical mindset. So, so when, when he talks about how he does what he does, someone like, Rick Swenson will listen and say, well, that's exactly what I do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's simple and, 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 but, but he really embraces the analytics. How many am I at now? Four or five? Or? Four. 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 I need one more, right? Mm-hmm. One more. Oh gosh. This is a really tough one because, um, we've lost so many wonderful mushers, but, for me, I would really like to have um, um, Norman Vaughn at, at that dinner. All right. Thank you so much, Chad, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thanks for being an outstanding moderator. <laughs> Special thanks to our guest, Chad St. George, for being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at hoskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would like to also give credit to Hobo Jim for our interest song. I did a rod trail song and our after in the land of the midnight sun They call this race the Iditarod Trail To me it's Reddington's Run In my heart it's Reddington